Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome in to another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Sekou Smith. Here in Atlanta, uh, we are grinding our way through what should be and could be a very short NBA offseason. And in that time, we've had a chance to to kind of lean back into the game, uh, study the history of the game. And we're doing it with the aid of some authors, coaches, um, guys who have been at the forefront of the NBA game we're watching now. And uh, today, one of the, those very people I'm talking about is joining us here, Paul Westhead, legendary coach uh, who's got a fantastic book, The Speed Game, His Fast Times in Basketball, which couldn't be any more appropriate for a guy who really has inspired some of the, the basketball we see today and did it way before his time. Coach, thanks for joining us first and foremost. I know it's early out there on the West Coast. How have you been and what's your what's your view on the game of basketball today as we know it? Just watching at every level how the game has transformed over the years. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, it was my pleasure to get up at 6 a.m. to be on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, the, the game uh, has evolved since, you know, my time in the 80s with, uh, you know, the the Lakers and Magic and Kareem. There's obviously more outside shooting. The, the three-point shot has uh, probably uh, done more to the game than, than any other feature. I think the evolution of the game, it has become more and more a control game. Uh, more and more, like, take your time, uh, don't make mistakes, uh, get a good shot, play good defense. On the other hand, I was always uh, get the ball, rush it down as quick as you can, shoot within four seconds, get a good shot, but one way or another, get a shot. You know, that was the trick. Sometimes it was a layup and sometimes it was the 25-footer, but we just wanted the fast shot. Coach, you mentioned your time with the Lakers, with Magic, Kareem, all those great players. Uh, NBA championship, of course, in Magic's rookie season. Um, the college game, of course, you coached, you know, teams at Loyola Marymount, also at LaSalle. When did you look at the game and recognize that something, there was something to that idea of playing so fast and, and getting shots up as quickly as you did in an offensive set? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I was simmering in the uh, 70s and I was coaching my brains out and, and playing five on five. And I was in the big five with with uh, Raleigh Massimino and Chuck Daly and Don Casey. And th- these guys were good. And, you know, sometimes I won that chess game five against five. And sometimes I lost. So I said, let me come up with something that I could get an offensive scheme and play five on three, five on two. I mean, uh, it just made a lot more sense. So a couple of things happened to me. One, in the 70s, I went to San Juan, Puerto Rico and coached in the summers uh, during the 70s. And the Puerto Rican players love to play fast. I mean, it's the way they go. 
So I met them and they met me and, and we got along very well. And then the other thing, uh, during the 70s, I met a coach named Sonny Allen, who was a fast break coach at Old Dominion University and showed me his scheme. And he said, Coach, you're going to have to be a little crazy to do this. And I said, well, I, I qualify. So with those two things, I started the speed game and never looked back. I'm sure when you started out as well, coaching establishment must have been some guys up in arms watching your teams play and, and thinking you were crazy. How much resistance was there to, to this style? The coaches would, would talk about it. They would say, this is really crazy. Uh, the great coach, Alex Hannum of the NBA, uh, saw my style and called it crap-a-doodle. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, the, there were a lot of disbelievers. And the real problem, though, is not so what coaches around you are saying. It's what your own team is saying. To run this fast break, and if you get 100 possessions and you're going to run the ball 100 times, not 20 times or 30 times, a selective fast break. If you're going to really fast break, you have to have your players to buy in. And I had a number of teams that they said they wanted the fast break, but they didn't. And bottom line is I got fired. You know, I had 20 coaching jobs and I got fired in 14 of them. But when you get players that want to buy in, then you almost can't lose. So it's a all or nothing scheme. And, uh, uh, sometimes coaches don't like it, but you have to try and get your players to like it. That's the most important part. Was there a part of playing that way too that that resonated with the certain players of, that were coming up in that generation? I would imagine that there were guys who had been playing like that, pick up ball maybe, and, and they had it in their mind, but hadn't seen it in a structured way like you had it. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Uh, you would get a new team and, and tell them, they probably knew from your reputation, but you would say first day, hey, we're going we're gonna to be a fast break team. And they'd all nod, raise their hand, say, yeah, way to go. We finally found a coach who knows what the heck he's doing. Right. And then after about five days, if you asked the same question, you wouldn't get 12 hands raised. You might get one or two. And then about 10 days later, there'd be a meeting, players only meeting. And they say, what are we going to do with this crazy stuff? Because... See, you can say you play street ball and you like to run, but do you want to run a hundred straight times? See, that's the rub. There's the rub, as uh, Hamlet would say, uh, right. that makes cowards of us all. They just don't want to do it. But you'll get players who will say, hey, I'm in. Then you have a real team. Did the comprehension of how much work it took, you know, the conditioning you had to be in, the training you had to go through to play this way, do you think that's what – really took people aback, players, everybody. I mean, just understand it. Like you mentioned, your own team is going to realize, oh, if we're going to play like this, we got to prepare to play like this. Right. Players will, will get after it in practice. I had a barometer that would take about five games into the season for me to know what was going to happen. And the happen was, were they buying in and were they going to commit? So if you play five games and you're one in four, and you're in the NBA, you're in trouble. Right. Because they're going to bail. They're going to say, this doesn't work, and it's hard, so why do I want to keep doing this? Let's slow down, play a little easier, and it can't be any worse. But if you're five games in and you're four and one, then they're beginning to like it. They're beginning to see that the opposition is getting tired. 
they're beginning to see that they're getting easier shots. They like playing five on two. And the only time that that uh, changed, I coached in the WNBA in the Phoenix Mercury with Diana Taurasi. And we were five games in and we were one in four. And I went, oh, man, here, here we go. And these women, they don't give up. And they said to me, Coach, we know we're one and four, but we like what you're doing. We're not quite there yet, but hang in with us. They were encouraging me. <laughs> so sure enough, by the end of the season, we were able to win a championship. You mentioned the 20 coaching jobs and just all the different places that you went in your career. Where did you feel like your vision, your your idea for how you wanted to play the game in the team you had in this time and the setting, it was at its purest, you know, watching the game, coaching it the way you wanted it to be done. The Lakers in 1980, I thought it was going to be easy to win. It took 28 years later to win one with the, the Phoenix Mercury and the WNBA. But the best team I ever had for my fast break system was Loyola Marymount, LMU. I mean, we had it cranked. We averaged 122 points a game. And people kind of marvel at that and say, oh, man, that's a lot. Well, the key word is averaged. Right, right. If you get a, a throwaway game and you get 104 points, you better do something about it if you're going to average 122. <laughs> And they just bought in. They loved what they were doing. Uh, There was was no problem. They they wanted to play fast. They wanted to play hard. And, uh, of course, I had some terrific players in Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball. So uh, you always need very good players to run whatever system you have. Did you find some kindred spirits in those Philly kids in Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball that kind of connected to to your roots in, in basketball? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a there was a, a local parish priest who uh, Father Father Dave Hagen who took care of the guys when they were in grade school. He was like their grade school coach. So uh, when they were thinking of transferring from USC, uh, he said, "You got to talk to Paul Westhead." So they came over and visited me, and uh, but they weren't so sure about the speed game then. Uh, I showed them five minutes of a game tape during their visit, and we walked outside, and Bo said, "Coach." I'm from Philly. You're from Philly. Come on, don't do that stuff to us. Don't don't make stuff up. <laughs> I said, no, no, no. That would, I didn't edit anything. That was the real tape. And they said, if that's the real tape, we're coming. <laughs> I would imagine writing a book like this took you down memory lane and, and probably made you examine and, and relive some some interesting moments throughout your career. Um, did you did you discover anything or rediscover anything maybe about those times going back and putting the speed game together? Just things that brought up some emotions or memories for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, many. Uh, it's hard to imagine. I, I went back and researched my own uh, high school coaching days at Cheltenham High School outside of Philadelphia and, and uh, had a team that uh, was 2-18 and 18 when I arrived. And uh, we wound up four years later being in the state championship. We were 26-0. and 0. And these players just just bought in. And, and although I really wasn't the, the fast break coach then, I was the hard defensive discipline Philly guy then. And uh, 
So, but uh, it, it was a, a fun time. Uh, so that was that was good to relive. Uh, I relive things like my Denver Nugget time, uh, getting to Kembe Mutombo as a, a rookie, and wondering what am I going to do with my fast break here with Dikembe? <laughs> Dikembe then and now he couldn't make a shot outside six feet. You know, and I said, my gosh, what are we going to do? So I changed my break and had him run to the basket like he was a a wingman. And uh, he loved it, and he beat the defense down all the time. He averaged 19 points a game his rookie year. I don't think he ever averaged double figures ever again. (laughs) Dikembe and I meshed together. He was meant for me, and I was meant for him. And to this day, we're we're still good friends. So uh, that memory came back in writing the book. Yeah, that's awesome. Hall of Famer, Dikembe Mutombo. What a what an unbelievable transformation for a guy's career. You mentioned Diana Taurasi. I mean, Magic Kareem. Obviously, do you sit back sometimes and chuckle to yourself at some of the players you've had a chance to coach and interact with over the, all these years? I mean, that's, there are not many coaches who can say that, that they've coached on, you know, at that level, that many generations and, and that type of player. I mean, we're talking about a bunch of Hall of Famers. Yeah, it is interesting, uh, especially with my uh, basketball career. Uh, I, uh, I played at St. Joseph's University under Dr. Jack Ramsey, and uh, my stellar career was uh, my grade point average was higher than my points per game average. So it's a good thing I was a good student, man. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, yeah, looking back, even in that first year with the Lakers, uh, the year before I was a college coach at LaSalle doing just okay. And less than 12 months later, I'm at the Philadelphia Spectrum for game six, the championship game with, with Magic Johnson at center. Yeah. And the fans are out there saying, who is this guy? Didn't we see this West Ed last year at South not winning? Uh, and here we are about to win a championship. So, yeah, I marvel about coaching Magic and Kareem and Diane Taurasi and Kambi Mutombo. Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball. That makes your life. I know you live in the LA area. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, even in these pandemic times when folks aren't really out and about, it must be interesting being at the epicenter of the basketball world right now with the Lakers winning their 17th championship. The last, you know, 10 months even, um, Kobe Bryant passing, all the, all the things that have gone on in, in basketball in L.A. What's the vibe out there just about where the, the Lakers are right now and what it means to the city to have them being champions again? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. that The L.A. fans uh, almost feel like nothing has ever changed. You know, it was easy to forget the last 10 years, we, you know, we haven't done very much. So the championship was like, oh, well, yeah, it's great, but we do this all the time. <laughs> I mean, it was a great feeling. And, and, of course, the combo of LeBron and Anthony Davis uh, reminded me of Kareem and Magic. Uh, you have to have two superstars if you're going to win. That doesn't mean you are going to win, but to put yourself in position. So, uh, And 
And Anthony Davis uh, caught my attention because, you know, he can run that wing. He can run like Dikembe. And so there were always three or four times in a game that Anthony Davis would get a fast break lob pass to him. He'd beat the defense down the court. You know, that's fast break basketball. Uh, but to their credit, they did a lot of other things that I never even thought of. They had a very efficient, well-greased offense and defensive team. When you think about just the game of basketball, you mentioned that you always got to have, at least in the NBA, it's been kind of a staple. I can't think of a, more than a couple teams that have won without this formula of having kind of that those two separators, two players be able to perform head and shoulders above the crowd to win a championship. You've had guys like that, obviously coached against guys like that. Is it odd to you that for a game that has evolved in so many different ways over the decades that played, that that's always a component of, of a championship team in the league? I think it, it speaks of the game. Uh, you know, the, there are so many good players out there that, that are very skilled and talented. And, and if you don't have something that separates your team and, and, and coaches, and we all get caught up in this, we think, well, then I'm the separator. Like my, my coaching ability is going to, going to bring us to the top. No, it won't. I mean, your coaching ability will get you close sometimes. But it's the players, you know, I had 50 years in coaching, men and women, high school, college, NBA, ABA. I coached two years in the pro league in Japan. So I, I know the world basketball. If I have one conclusion, it is you need players to win. When you get one or two great ones, you, you're in a slot that you can do it. You mentioned that global experience, and for years we heard um, late NBA Commissioner David Stern talking about wanting the game to expand, you know, wanting the NBA game to be a global game. I've been struck by this notion that coaches have been doing that forever, going overseas, putting on coaching clinics long before the, the, the general public or the league even embraced the idea of a global game. What was it about coaches that made you guys decide in mass to, to spread the word about basketball all those years ago to start that movement? We thought back in the seventies that, uh, you know, we were the best in the world and like, you know, we, we almost had a, a responsibility to, to spread the word. I, I know uh, in 75, I went to Brazil for a month and, and taught basketball. Uh, and it was like uh, coaches uh, uh, going around the world to help almost like now we have doctors going around and, and helping the world. Well, coaches did that. Uh, but, you know, even that has evolved a little bit in the 2000, the 2010 era, the, the Europeans almost like turned us down. Like they said, you know, we're not so sure you people know what you're doing. So, right. uh, you know, just, just leave us alone. We're, we're, we're doing fine over here. Right. So it, it, it kind of fluctuated back and forth. But uh, the, the dominance now of the Lakers uh, and with LeBron James uh, leading the pack, uh, I think we've established ourselves once again as a global power. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, when you look at where the game's headed. I mean, the, LeBron obviously has been one of the greatest players all, of all time and has led a generation uh, of players in the league. But he's 17 years in, and if you look around 
the 25 and under crowd. You got Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, um, even guys like Jamal Murray, who's from Canada. You got all these international players who have now asserted themselves in the league. Do you, do you look at that as kind of the the result of that movement years ago to, to go around the world spreading this game? And you've got players from other continents and, you know, other sides of the world that have come and become impact players in the NBA. Oh, I have no doubt it was the seeds that David Stern uh, planted uh, in the 80s, uh, and it's just coming back. And, of course, you know, NBA has camps and schools and academies all around the world now. You get what you sow. I mean, so the NBA in particular has done a great job in spreading world basketball. Uh, I did a clinic 25 years ago with uh, UB Brown and, and Jack Ramsey in Moscow, Russia, in front of 500 uh, Russian coaches. And uh, I, I had two days, two sessions. I had a defensive session that I showed my crazy defense that you front and deny everybody. And UB Brown was watching with Ramsey and he said, Jack, you got to talk to your boy. He's killing us out there. <laughs> I mean, this is the worst I've ever seen. Uh, so Ramsey came to me and said, hey, can you tone things down a little bit? You know, we, we, you know, the world is watching us. So the next day I, I did my fast break and I'm going through the fast break and Yubi's watching. He's waiting to see what's going on here. And we took a shot and I had three guys, which I always did, go and rebound the shot. And he jumped up, ran out in the court, and he said, triangle rebounding. My gosh, triangle rebounding. This is terrific. <laughs> Hell, I didn't even know I was doing triangle rebounding. <laughs> UB bought my offense. He said, I agree. Way to go. But he did not like my defense. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Coach, so many stories, so many so many great things, to you know, memories in the book, The Speed Game, are fantastic trip down memory lane, but also kind of a, a, a great, you know, view into what was going on in, in specific throughout your time in basketball. I appreciate the, uh, the words. We appreciate your time. Do you, any advice for young coaches trying to get into the business and get into the coaching game? My advice is if you're thinking of doing something different, if, if you think you have a little niche, whether it's offense or defense or whatever your little thing is, perfect it and stick with it. Don't, don't be discouraged if, you know, you have this defensive scheme and, and you're 10 games in and it doesn't look like it's exactly what you want. Don't abandon it. Improve it. Make it better. Tweak it. Ch change it a little bit. Uh, I will say if you want to be a fast break coach, there's a couple of things you should have in mind. You should have a long-term contract before you decide to do that <laughs> because you could get fired real fast. <laughs> because here's the problem with fast break basketball. If it doesn't work, it really looks bad. I mean, you know, like coaches are always trying to cover for themselves. They're always trying to say, well, we lost by five, but my team looked okay. You know, that, that that's consolation. Well, if you run fast break and it doesn't work, you're going to lose by 20 and you're going to look bad. <laughs> <laughs> great words. Great advice. Paul Westhead, champion, coach, NBA, WNBA, done it all over the globe. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the book. 
And the book's available on Amazon.com. So uh, if you're a coach, read it before you decide to fast break. You might change your mind. <laughs> Great stuff. You can get the book on Amazon, certainly the speed game. Paul Westhead, thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Paul Westhead there joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. Another one of these great books we've been talking about all season long, um, all year long, really. The Speed Game. Check it out. Check it out on Amazon and get yourself a copy.